What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It's Nick McHenry here with another episode of Retail Coffee Break, or should I say Retail Happy Hour, because I got to sit down over drinks with two really good friends of mine, Cliff Rodriguez and Christopher Beadle, who are former buyers at Barney's New York and have since gone on to other endeavors to talk about what it was like to build a career as a menswear buyer coming from the retail floor, which is traditionally a very hard jump to make. And we dig into everything that's happened over the last 12 months of the pandemic as a menswear buyer from their perspective and what has changed. So without further ado, let's get into it. All right, we're here at the Casa de Clifford Rodriguez. We're here with Cliff Cliff and Chris, menswear industry buying legends, here to talk about (laughs) all things, all things men's and fashion and life. What's going on, guys? Why don't you tell the listening audience a little bit about your background, how you got in the industry, and kind of where you're at today? Thanks for having us, foremost, at at my own house, but you know. It's it's a real pleasure. You you have great energy, so I, I really appreciate you having us on the podcast. I'm Cliff. Uh, I started out in sales, like most people do, in retail. I think my first job was American Eagle. As much as well, my first job before American Eagle was Baskin Robbins. Hey, so. nice. <laughs> So I, I really, I really started from the bottom. If you, if you could say that, uh, I started scooping ice cream. No, on a serious note, uh, I went from being in sales for for about six to eight years to eventually working my way into you know being an assistant buyer. So I started my first assistant buyer role at Barney's New York. Um, I was in tailored clothing and it was, it was just awesome. It it was, it was a lot of learning experiences. Uh, I went from, you know, always just talking to people to, to then using computers, (laughs) which I found I was extremely terrible at, at Excel and just things in general that I thought I would never be terrible at. So I, I went from that to, you know, being an associate buyer and, eventually having some ownership of the business and uh mainly the things i did was buy for suiting trousers mtm overcoats rainwear things of that nature uh i'll pass it off to you word i uh i guess my first job yeah was a intern at Avadi and Sons. I was really obsessed with them, reading them in GQ when I was in college. Uh, I helped them with like just about everything in their showroom. That was kind of cool. Felt really cool getting to work in Soho and like meet everybody. I like hung out at Carson Street, which is like a little throwback there, which was pretty cool. Rest in peace. Yeah, RIP. RIP, dead bitch. Um, it, it was cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no. Great place. Great place to hang out. Met a lot of friends there. It was cool. Um, 
Avadia was pretty fun to work for. It kind of gave me an introduction to the industry. I kind of got a feel for what the difference between like working in wholesale versus buying, kind of seeing what the guys at Carson Street did to, as, as buying. Um, I did a little bit of stuff like helping with lookbooks, that kind of thing. Kind of let me get a feel for the industry, which is cool. Um, so then, then I switched my major in college from being um, poli-sci to want to be a lawyer to econ to try to maybe be a buyer, kind of go that route. Um, a little bit of a switcheroo there. Um, coming out of college, I kind of was just like, what can I do to get into New York? Like, I just need to be in the city to kind of get the flow because UConn is not exactly a fashion feeder school. So I was like, what the fuck can I do to like get in there? I was like, all right, cool. Suit supply, like kind of a new company, kind of up and up and coming, like very young, like they kind of like want you to grow whatever position you do. So I took a job there in sales, um, did that for a few months, kind of forayed that into working on their shoe program because I'm a little shoe nerd. Um, like their shoe business was really lacking. I mean, uh, the, their problem was the fact that the name of their company is Suit Supply, so no one really thinks about shoes. So they yeah. really wanted to push that. Um, so they had me sort of, you know, educate people on like the like selling points of the shoes and kind of fix their inventory system. And that really is what like inspired me to be like, all right, like I, I kind of like this. I like looking at like what's doing well, what can I do to like make this business better? And I was like, okay, so like buying is kind of what I want to do. And I was lucky enough to meet someone that worked at Suit Supply that knew someone at Barney's and got me an interview and did a little switcheroo and I went to work as an assistant buyer um, alongside Cliff. Um, yeah. Met him on my first day at Barney's um, as an assistant buyer of uh, dress shirts and ties. RIP, RIP those as well. Uh, but, uh, but back then, you know, we still sold some ties back then, still sold some dress shirts. Um, I was lucky enough to work with Cliff. He, he taught me well, um, not Excel, um, but uh, he taught me some other things. And uh, Excel, I thankfully knew. Um, and uh, I, I worked my way up as well. Uh, I switched into shoes. Um, I did um, designer and uh, like development designer shoes, which is pretty cool. Got to work with like Adidas and Nike and help develop stuff with Timberland and do like custom stuff with them, like the Soul Series stuff for yeah. Barney's, which was super sick. Um, and from there, I just kind of expanded, um, you know, taking more ownership of the business as well. And then, uh, yeah. Where do you think people, because I feel like I get asked a lot, like we've all come from kind of different backgrounds. We've all like kind of like misfits, like you know, we kind of fell into the industry, made our way into corporate office or whatever somehow. Like none of us were like destined for the corporate office yeah, yeah, by yeah. any means. Like a lot of people ask, you know, like, okay, I started on a retail floor. I'm in college and they like, they asked me a lot. I don't know if they asked you guys like, how do I get into a corporate office environment? Like if you're on a sales floor, I think like half the people on sales floor want to be a buyer or work in the office. Like where do you think people go wrong or what are like the misconceptions or what advice do you have to like tackle that? Cause it's not easy. Let's be real. No, it wasn't easy. I mean, I, I, I can't say it was anything more than just like happenstance and luck and meeting the right people. And sort of um, like, I was very lucky to meet someone that I worked with at suit supply who happened to be friends with someone at Barney's and I kind of imparted on him that that's kind of my goal and what I wanted to do. So I took some ownership at Suit Supply and was like, hey, what? this is what I want to do. Um, what can I do to kind of dip my toes into the water of buying? And they're like, okay, like, you know, you can go in the back and kind of help out with what they call needs management. And they're like, kind of, you know, look at the business and look at sales as you're on the sales floor and see, you know, where you're lacking. Like, listen to the customers, listen to what other people are complaining about and like, what are we low on? Like, take a look at the stock. And I'm like, that's very much sort of what a buyer does. And I was able to use that, um, like the skill set that I built there, even though it wasn't a true title. And so when I had my interview as an assistant buyer, which I was lucky enough to get, um, I was able to like talk about those skills. So I'm, I'm not just coming out of nowhere. So it's like, yes, I worked in sales, but I also was able to manage this kind of stuff. So it was something I could foray into a, like an assistant buyer job. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, you fall into it. I mean, it, it's, it's the people that it's the hands you shake. I mean, it was, yeah. it was just kind of a happenstance that I met, um, the person that, you know, helped me get the job at Barney's and yeah. ended up there. Cliff. Yeah, I, w I would say it's it's a lot about networking and just being extremely curious in, in general. You have to be able to to show that passion 
uh, just to give you a, a little bit of a background on how I got the assistant buyer job and, you know, other buyer jobs after that, uh, I, I basically, from the moment the buyers came on the sales floor when I, I was a salesperson at Barney's, I, I basically tried to to ensure that they got my feedback and they knew my passion and they anything that could potentially help them, I wanted to make sure they got that right away. And, you know, I kind of offered my my time when when I wasn't working, you know, on my days off, I was like, hey, if you guys ever need me to go to an appointment, just let me know. I'll be there. I got Wednesday, Saturday off. <laughs> Next week, I got Saturday, Monday off. You know, I, I was pretty obsessive about, you know, being available and, and just being passionate. And eventually, uh, I got pretty close with um, the denim buyer. Her name was Chelsea. And she she uh, emailed me and she was like, hey, there's an assistant buyer job. And it was actually another assistant buyer job. So I, I, I applied for that one and it ended up not working out. And I was crushed. I remember I called everyone. I was like, damn, that was my only shot. That was my only way. It's over. In. It's fucking over. And I was really, really like, damn, I'm just never going to get there. And then another one came up and she 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 saw the passion in me. And she was like, I know you don't know anything about tailored clothing, but there's an assistant buyer position for tailored clothing. So the first thing I do, I go to the tailored clothing sales floor and I'm like talking to the manager, trying to figure out what are the brands that I need to know? What are the fits I need to know? What's doing well now? And I just did my homework and I was always willing to get my my hands dirty and do the do the homework in a sense. And uh I go into the interview. I bomb it. I absolutely bomb it. But in, in, in I was wearing a Zara suit at the time. I, I, obviously, you know, there's no knock on that. There's no knock of course, on that. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone has their price point. At the time, I wasn't willing to spend more than $150 on a suit. That was just me. After being in the industry for at least three months, I... I I saw the nuance on the fit and, and the fabric and all that good stuff. So I, I was willing to spend, you know, thousand plus on a suit, but it took a while. You had to save you had to save up for it. You had to do all these things that you would typically not have to do. So to get this suit, but it was just really cool to see going from a person that didn't even know tailored clothing to a person that knew everything about it in about a year. Yeah. You know, it was and that's and that's really what it boils down to. It's what what work are you willing to put in? Obviously, mixed with a lot of luck. Yep. I think you you have to have people that believe in you. But but it's 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 all about it's all about networking. It's all about getting getting out there and just putting your your neck on the line and just just showing that passion. So right, it I sounds know that sounds like a cookie cutter. It's, you know. it, it sounds like it sounds like it's a combination of I mean, like you could say luck, but I would say like what both your stories shared in common was it sounds like it's a combination of working your ass off, really knowing your stuff, like by spending the time and like willing, yeah. be willing to give up stuff. You know, like I think sometimes people say they want to work in the corporate office and they're not willing to give up salary or time or or whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I went, and then, I, I went from making like a ton of commission to making like half of what I was making right. on commission. Right. But you got to think of long term sometimes. Yeah. You know? So it's hard work, sacrifice, and then people really like, yeah. like that's the kind it's like, it's at the end of the day, like you, I think. I think college is broken in the sense of like they downplay the importance of like just knowing somebody, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's literally absolutely. just like you find the right person, you hit your, your car to the right wagon and yeah, exactly. Like, and you're set, you know, like, and that's, that's it. And also like, by the way, we've all been there with like the Zara suit thing, you know, it's like, I mean, come on, we all started at like buying at these, you know, cheaper stores. And now that we've been in the industry long enough, we say things like, wow, 1995, that's such a deal. Like, yeah, yeah. That's you, such a great price. Yeah, it, it's you know? very it's true. Like, it's very it's true. It's like, come on, like everyone we know would be like, oh my God, $2,000 for a suit when you're. At the end of the day, you start realizing that some of these like precious fabrics that are, are made handmade hand stitched you know they, they have like this meaning yeah they have like this like story behind it they have these like this old lady or this old man or you know just sewing he's been sewing for 60 years that's what he's been doing his entire life he doesn't know anything else and you realize you you're almost like paving the way for for keeping that legacy alive, you know? And I think it's, it's almost like an investment piece, you know? And you, you almost think about it like buying a a Porsche or, or buying just a vintage Rolex watch or something that you just want to keep alive. And that's really the reason I was so geared towards luxury in general. All dorks. That's what Chris just said. You probably can't hear. We'll switch the mic setup over in a second because I don't need to be talking as much. So, uh, all right, let's ch- let's change the topic a little bit. So let's shift. Let's shift. Okay. So I mean, I talk about this with every guest, but we're going to talk about it anyways because we're nearing the end. Hopefully, knock on wood, of the pandemic. Uh, like you know, hope to God that we're we're, we're past we're getting past it. We're on the final hump, whatever. But like being in the industry, you know, like we've been in the industry a while. We've seen the trends come and go. Like, I think we were all wearing suits and ties when this whole, th- wait, like, not even before this started, but at the beginning of our careers at least. Right. Sure. And, we're, and like, you were buying them, man. yeah, you were buying them and you were selling them. Right. And people were buying them. Somebody. Like, okay. Going back to March last year, mm-hmm. we're now almost, a, well, we are exactly one, almost exactly one year later. Holy yeah, crap. Like, uh, like three days. Yeah. Four like days three days to a New York yeah, yeah. shutdown. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're one year. Exactly. Yeah. So what, in the last year, what are the changes in fashion, menswear, the industry that you've seen happen? But more importantly, like, what do you think is going to stick? You know, like a lot's changed, but like, what's actually going to stay post post pandemic? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, like leisure wear is here to stay. It, it was here before the pandemic. Obviously, like you Lululemons of the world, like your athleisure was always going to be a thing. Like people like to be comfortable. Always and, trending, yeah. Yeah, and I think that the biggest problem with like a tie is that as beautiful as it is, like I can really appreciate a nice tie. It really serves no purpose other than just the look. So like no one ever really like enjoyed, like only certain people enjoyed wearing a tie, whereas a lot of it was just like part of the dress code. So the minute it's not required, they're not going to go out of their way to wear a tie. Um, whereas like a suit, I still think is going to have a, a lot of legs still because like wearing a suit still makes you feel a certain way. It still gives you a certain like look uh, because like the way a suit fits you, like even if you're not a person that's like, 
in the impeccable shape or like stuff about you is not perfect. Like a suit can make you look awesome because it gives you shape. It gives you form. So even if you're not wanting to um, like get be like really dressy or whatever for work, I still think you could like dress down a suit and look really good. So I'm thinking like after the pandemic, when people are in sweatpants all the time, they're really going to want to maybe look a little bit better. And I'm not saying you're going to go straight back to, you know, wearing a button up with a tie and a suit. Like I really don't think that's going to come back full hog unless you're a person that enjoys like novelty ties. Um, but like wearing knitwear and pairing that with suits, I think people are still going to want to wear tailored clothing um, to, to look good and, you know, kind of like get that, that feeling of normalcy back. Yeah. And, and just in general, I think it's really it's really taught a lot of people what's what's important in life. And I think uh, the the fashion industry in general, they, it, it got kind of a shock. You know, it was kind of like an earthquake because there was a lot of. In general, there was a lot of production that was just, it was just like, you know, just just like making season after season after season, fashion show after fashion show after fashion show. And you, you, you start realizing like, wait, what's, what's actually important when you're, when you're working from home and you're trying to stay sane and, and insanity is almost creeping into your body. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go for a run. Last year was like the first year that I, I ran every week of the year, I did a marathon. And and these are things my lazy ass would have never done ever, (laughs) you know? And it's like, those were the things that were keeping me alive. The things going to the park and just being a person that's hugging a tree. I would have never hugged a tree. I grew up in the Bronx, you know, that's just not me. They don't have trees in the Bronx. But yeah, they don't have trees in the Bronx. (laughs) But everyone in the Bronx, what's up? (laughs) Either way, all I'm saying is it it, it flipped a person like me, such a city boy, to someone that just wanted to almost like connect with, interconnect with nature and just like human connection. And I... You know, this is like one of the first times that I'm actually hanging out. I, I hang out when it's safe because obviously COVID is still a real thing and we all got still tested. Still here, unfortunately. Yeah, we, got, we all got tested and all that stuff. And, and it's all good and dandy. But there's a lot of people that died. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of like emotional heartache that happened to a lot of people that people are still dealing with. You know, and it's, it's like care. it's hard to care about clothes in a time like this. Right. Like I found myself caring before when I didn't really care. I like I would look at something cool on Instagram or like follow a brand and be like, oh, that, that's really cool. I need that. I need that to go like go out to the club or do whatever, like look cool. Whereas now I care a little bit more about like, why am I buying this? Like, what does it mean? What does this company do? What do they stand for? Like, what does this piece mean? Like, I find myself a lot of things I bought when I was at home in quarantine. It wasn't that like shirt I'm hoping to wear when I'm out of quarantine. It was more like. The small designer is making this cool shirt. I'm helping support small designer in one way. Right. What are they donating to? Like, what are they doing for this? Like, what what is the point of this shirt? Like, what what cause do they care about? Like, why does this matter? So when I'm wearing it, it's not just like I'm wearing this to look cool at a bar. It's like I'm wearing this to not only I'm showing that I support said cause or I support said designer's mission, which kind of ties back to why I got into fashion in general. It's because it still has a story to it. Like the only reason that you can convince someone to spend upwards of a thousand dollars on like a shirt is because you've convinced them that there's some cool story to it. Yeah. And now that the story is not just some nonsense story about a, a lady sewing this in the middle of nowhere like because it, it's cool. It's kind of like I have this uh, a mission for my brand or I'm donating these to undocumented immigrants or I'm, I'm doing something for this and this is really cool and I'm showing this support by, by wearing this. Yeah, because it, it really ties back to how are we changing? 
We, we can't go back to what it was. We can't go back to overconsumption. We just need a we just need to figure out the the right the sweet spot between, you know, still purchasing things that you, you think are beautiful, but also that are going to last a long time. And also what what is it bringing to the table? Like now more than ever, the consumer is in charge and just people in general could vote with their wallets, you know, and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting time when it comes when it comes down to the fact that you're going to be able to 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 impact, you know, any any business with your wallet just because now with social media and all that stuff like you 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 really have a voice and you could get in a group and really make a difference so no i mean there's a lot of good points you guys both made there i mean i think i think in general i mean the industry has been talking about sustainability and and brands that matter for a long time right it's been it's, yeah. been, it's been a lot of talk about in the industry about like how can brands make a bigger impact outside of just the clothes that you wear in general and i think i agree with you that post covid this will be a even more important thing and you could argue that luxury as a whole is in nature on the topic of like sustainability as a whole, just based on price point and production, like you said, is like, let's say relatively more sustainable than, than fast fashion. Right. That being said, do you think that we have some issues in the industry with the way that the brand to retailer relationship currently exists with oversupply that outpaces consumption? And then creates problems of sale racks and like, like to your point, like you're like, like the consumers thinks that they're supporting the brand with their dollars. But in a lot of ways, if buyers are buying from brands and it's not as based on how many dollars were spent on that brand because of gross margin deals or whatever right. it is, like, are we sort of like killing ourselves from the inside out based on just how the dynamic is between brands and stores right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, uh, the pandemic kind of exacerbated everything that's been going on for years. And I think uh, it made a lot of retailers more conservative and a little bit more realistic with what they can bring in and what they should bring in and how they should manage their open to buy. And I think more than ever, I think that exercise that's been done, you know, of cleaning out like unproductive things in general I think it's going to become a stricter place. You need to be a lot tighter. Right. I but think there's been a big issue of just too many clothes being pumped in. And we really need to get away from the the way that fashion was done in the past. Where like, you're buying for fall, but it's kind of really in summer. And I don't think men are buying, especially men. Like we work in menswear. I only briefly worked in women, so I can't speak to it as much. But as far as like men buying things, like obviously the way things are set up now, it's it's all very old. Like back when people would buy bespoke clothing, it was fine to be ordering your winter stuff in the middle of summer because you had to wait eight, like eight months for them to make the stuff for you. Whereas now it's it's in the store, but it's like I'm shopping overcoats in the middle of June. It doesn't make any sense. Like, and a guy right now, he wants to walk in and buy something to wear now. So he doesn't want to wait. So then he ends up only shopping what's on sale because that's the stuff that he can actually wear now. And the new stuff, he's going to wait. And you get, and, uh, like, there's too much inventory and it all gets marked down. And people are only waiting for sales. And it's not sustainable. And you're sitting on tons of inventory and it's not productive. Yeah. And I, I just think the buyers and, you know, just retailers in general, it, it just needs to take a stand on the way the, the seasonal merchandise is produced in general because 
obviously a lot of the factories, they they kind of dictate exactly what you're going to see during the season and what you're going to buy into. But as a buyer, and I've seen it firsthand, you do have some say, hey, these fabrics are way too heavy. These models don't make any sense for what I'm trying to buy for spring. Like this should be later on. Why don't we have a resort capsule, you know, in January when people are shopping in New York trying to go to Miami where, you know, there's no restrictions. But just in general, it's going to take the whole place, everyone to to kind of figure things out together and and shift it, because I, I think it's already happening. And there's a lot of, you know, startup fashion companies that have been able to, like, even cut out the middleman, you know, and. And things like that are great. And I don't I don't necessarily think that it's going to knock off anyone that's on the top right now. It's just going to add a little bit of competition. And that's fine. I'm, I'm all about competition. So I think in general, the the cream rises to the top as a you know, as a saying that they always say. But uh, I think you just need to be able to to see what's going to work five years from now, because. I think things are going to shake up. I think you just need to like move away crazy. from the, we're in a big markdown model and everyone's kind of in that mindset of trying to get a deal and everything. And I think you need to focus more, especially with the pandemic on, like I said, kind of buying things that mean something to you and giving the customer a reason to spend full price and not just be like, all right, cool. It's just like another shirt that I want and I'm not going right. to buy it until it's 40% off. And then you're like just stacking tons of this markdown inventory and your gross margins are hit and like no one's happy there. The stores are suffering. Everyone's suffering. The consumer's not getting anything good and it just doesn't work. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all really good points. So like, I agree with you. I mean, like it's going to take the whole industry to basically work together, which let's be real, like probably never going to happen. You know, like, come on, let's call it as it is. Like we're not going to have every department store agree on the exact same markdown cadence. Yeah. Yeah. Every model brand is not going to agree on the exact same model. Like, cause one person breaks the system. It sets the whole thing back, you know? So like, I think it does need to be personally from my side, it needs to be like a million little actions that happen over a long period of time that like slowly get forward, you know, past that. Yeah. How do you think we get through? I mean, just like thinking through kind of the topic we're talking about, what do you think like newness looks like post pandemic? Because I feel like, especially in menswear specifically, the trends have gotten so consistent over the years. Across, it's very cyclical. It's very cyclical, but it's like, come on, every classic menswear brand has a white plain leather sneaker. Every yeah. every like Saint Laurent ish brand has a perfecto jacket or some variation of perfecto yes. jacket. A nice or, little, or, little teddy. And yeah. because like, the reason I'm thinking about this is yeah, exactly. A nice teddy or like some variation of that. You know, a what pointy boot, you know. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So everyone's got that very slight variation. So like I guess that's something I think about. It's like I'm seeing more and more stuff that used to be like I would call it core because so many brands have it, it's like 70% off. Because now it's, some brands have it 70% off and then core brands that like sold as core. Yeah. Like, what do you think is going to, I mean, in the next like year or two years, I know we're not trying to forecast necessarily, but like what's new anymore? You know, how do we get out of this? Like whatever, whatever we're in. It's hard. I mean, having newness is hard. I mean, you kind of just need to focus on like what you're, you're good at instead of trying to dip your toes into every part of the water. I think, I mean, yeah. not everyone needs to make a common projects, Achilles ripoff. Like that doesn't need to exist. Like not everyone needs to make a white sneaker. I mean, you don't need to be in every part of the industry. Like just focus on the things that you're, you're well known for and very good at. Or if you have a great idea for something, you know, come up with that, that new thing. You don't need to just like, all right, you know, they're, they're, they're selling this sneaker really well. I need to make a sneaker that, that fits in that category. I don't think that's going to be necessary going forward because I think people are very much more attuned to seeing when stuff is like there's too much of that one thing. 
and then they're just like they're overwhelmed with it and they're either going to wait for the one to get marked down from the brand that's not as well known or they're just going to spend the money on the one that they, they know is like the it the itchy or whatever yeah uh I, I agree with that statement i think uh in general you're going to have to just follow your passion and and really try to if you're if you're going to go into something it better be something that you absolutely love and like if you're going to go into a niche it, it better be something that you're not thinking is going to make money right away even though the, it is a, yeah you need a reason you need a yeah. reason for me to buy especially when you're talking about luxury goods yeah. Like, um, like the first time I was in New York shopping and I went to Odin and I was looking at like some gloves, like I'm not going to spend $200 on some driving gloves that are just sitting there. But if you come give me a really cool story about how these are based off of something that Steve McQueen drove and like in a, in a sick car and he's like, Oh, this is the history of these gloves. This is where they're made. This is where this, 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 like, uh, the peccary lever comes from. I'm like, okay, cool. I can kind of be like, maybe I'll save up for these gloves because it gives me that story and it gives me that feeling when I wear them. And I think brands really need to focus on like, what is the message that they as a brand want to impart? Yeah. And like, what are the, the items that they think, like, you know, tell that story? So how do you tell that story online, you think? You know, because like, obviously there's yeah. a shift online, like For people sure. are starting to buy e-com and like, mm-hmm. it's harder, you know, like it, it's a new format where it's like, okay, you got to find a way with basically this cut and dry format that we have had for since the beginning of e-commerce, basically. Like, I mean, how do you guys think you tell that story online? I mean, for me, the most successful way that I, as a consumer, have, like, shopped online is the brands that do editorial really well. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, that's not for everybody. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fashion nerd, obviously. It's why I got into it. It's the only reason that the person I interviewed with the first time was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a shot with you because you're clearly a dork and you love this shit. Uh, but, like, if you write me a really cool story about what is the use factor of this item you're selling me and you're, you're like painting a picture of where I'm going to wear this or where I'm going to use this for. Yeah. So I've already romanticized this item in my head. Like this is what I'm going to use it for. Or like if I get to go to like, I might not ever go to the Amalfi coast, but in my head when I'm going <laughs> to Cape Cod, it's the Amalfi coast in my head. And that's why I'm buying Orla Bar Brown swim trunks because you've romanticized those so much in my head. They're like, Oh, cool. This, this is worth it to me. And I want to do that. And I'll buy it online because I can read this cool story, see someone cool wearing it, read a little burr about it. And then boom, I click it and it's, it's purchasable. And then the other factor, at least for me, if I'm going to buy something online, you need to make it very easy for me to be able to like swap sizes or go in and out. And I'm not paying return shipping or like figuring out how to get this back to you because that's the biggest, like, at least for me, especially buying like a thing like shoes online where I think most people can, you know, agree that like I may be a nine in eight out of 10 brands, but the other two, I'm going to order the nine. They're not, yeah. not going to fit. Yeah. And if I got to pay $20 to get them returned, I'm probably never going to buy from that person again. Whereas if you make it very seamless for me to make that swap. And you give me a good story, I'm probably going to, you know, continue to shop there. Yeah, I, I think it's a holistic approach. I think you you, you kind of got to go uh, towards the editorial side and you also have to, you know, have a, a interfacing website that, that, that really looks like that, that really caters to a lot of different types of people and is very easy to navigate as well. Because I I, I've, I can't tell you how many times I go on a site and and you know they have certain it things. Can't be a that, second thought. It, yeah, it needs to be. Yeah. It needs to be the you first need to care. thought. Yeah, you need to care. And, and there's there's a lot of sites that have certain product on certain categories that don't make any sense because it's not that category. So I think you you just have to have really sharp people, you know, uh, designing the websites and and making sure that it's it's up to par in a lot of ways. And and I also think. 
when I say holistic approach, I think you need to be able to tie it back to as crazy as this sounds. You need to be able to tie it back to brick and mortar in some sense of the, uh, the word, because I think uh, a lot of a lot of connections that are made are never going to be made through e-commerce. Only. But if you only but if you have, you know, either people in the customer service sector, you know, calling to follow up. If you don't have a brick and mortar, you know, platform, uh, you you have customer service people that reach out. To you give them the feel of it. Yeah, you you get you give them some sort of feel, and I think a lot of people just get all these automated emails that just say thank you for your purchase. Uh, we'll send you tracking in about two to yeah. to six weeks. You know, I think you need and, like an ethos and a feeling, right? Just like I got it, like say a Barney's, where I come in there and everything there. It doesn't matter what brand it is; it feels quintessentially Barney's. Like there's a reason that Barney's picked that to be in their store. Yeah. Or you go into Bergdorf and you look at their stuff; like it's very Bergdorf. Like you're not looking at it. This this could not be in any shop. Like the way that they pick these things is Bergdorf. So I need to be able to go on that website, and it's not just. Everything from every designer just thrown in, uh, like on the website. That's yeah, too and there's, much. And and there's a ton of brands in general that are doing really good jobs at it. Like even even brands that don't have anything to do with fashion that are taking a holistic approach on health or or just anything. You know, you you almost feel like a cult. You know, you almost feel like you're in a cult, but like a, a positive cult. So <laughs> so so no one frowns upon it. You know, so so it's it's really a. A balance of of being able to make people feel like they belong, but also sell them stuff, you know. So I, I think there's a there's a fine line, but yeah, yeah, for sure. And 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 places like Reddit and and just like even conversations like these, you know, podcasts and just things in general. That's what the the brands should focus on. They should focus on. Because it's scary, you know, getting getting on a microphone. Like when I first started this conversation, I was like, <laughs> what do I say? Because it's like you almost forget what to say because it's not organic in the beginning. But you're talking to people all day. So it right. should be organic. Right. And uh, I think I think people just get scared to to expose what the brand is actually and the people behind the brand, you know? It's, it's an interesting point because it's, it's like, if you look at a wider set of what's happening, especially with COVID, I think it's brought it to the forefront, right? It's like, if, for some reason, our industry has this narrative of e-commerce eating the brick and mortar space. And it's like, right. the world's moving to like a pure play, 100% e-commerce mode, right? But then if you look at like, every single other thing in life it'd be like everyone else agrees the opposite it's like if you were to ask someone like is dating going to be only virtual forever most people would be like hell no of course not or like are we never going to eat in a restaurant again they'd be like of course not what are you talking about we're not going to take out forever but for some reason in retail they're like we're going to shop online forever and that's it like yeah, true. You do have the issue where people are actually saying they're not going to go into movie theaters again. That's a good point. I also find really horrible because I think going to a movie is a different experience. I love going to movies. Like, I mean, can you imagine if the first time you saw Inception was on an iPad on an 11-inch screen? Like, it's Oh, my God. Movie. Yeah. Well, the first time you saw Lord of the Rings, it was on, a, like, a streaming thing in your living room, and you yeah. pause it six times to use the bathroom. It's not the same experience. Yeah. Just like the same. It's not the same experience of, like, shopping for a $4,000 suit on a website and yeah. never feeling it or seeing it or getting that, like... That feeling of belonging, where you're talking to the yeah. guy and he's romancing it for you, you're feeling the fabric. Like it's not the same. Thing. But this is when this is when. But like, I totally agree with you. Like it's totally not the same thing. But the it'll be interesting to see how the movie space plays out. And it's totally not tied to fashion at all. But like 
it, it's one of those things of like value to price, right? It's like, like, like I feel like I love the experience, but I'm not going to pay right. $16 per ticket in New York to yeah. go see a movie. It's, it's like, like the, theater <laughs> be, the theater might be dirty and crowded oh and my not God, great. Yeah. And like you're sitting in a seat that hasn't been clean in six weeks and you're overpaying it, for popcorn. Like it's not all yeah. perfect. There, there's, there's, an oppor- there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. perfect model. There's an opportunity for any startups out there that like want to tackle any industry to build like the best fucking experience ever in that category is going to win. You know, yeah. like if you can build the most amazing dining experience of all time, you're going to win. If you can build yeah. the most amazing cinemat- cinematic experience, you're going to win. Well, most- think, think about, think about the fact that, uh, I've gone to like two or three restaurants, obviously safely since, uh, New York has opened cause we were pretty close for the most part. You know, it was only yeah, delivery takeout, but, uh, what I've noticed is the, the waiters, and these are these are waiters that I've seen, you know, just, you know, bartenders, waiters, managers of, of the restaurants. But I've noticed everyone just seems to have a pep in their step and seems to have like almost like transformed into the best associate I've ever seen. I hope in my it life. sticks. Yeah, I, I mean, I give it six months. I give it six months. But, you know, it, it's a good example of like missing something what the, the the drawbacks of it is that you know maybe you think you'll never need it again but the positive parts the the pros to it is that you might feel like wow i really miss this and you know it gets people working at their best states you right. know so I mean, I, listen, I, I, I hope it sticks like the COVID po- post COVID positivity. Like I hope for years we can look back and be like, it could be 2020, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like the we can ring 2021. Yeah, exactly. Like I hope we look back and we're like, you wake up every morning with a smile on your face and you're just thinking like, oh man, it could be locked down. I'm so could- happy to be eating pasta at this restaurant right now. Exactly. Like, I hope every experience yeah. is, yeah. is heightened. Is, yeah. It's is heightened. Man, I right. can't wait to go to a concert again. Not oh Ooh. my God. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, in my opinion, the world's going to go nuts this summer, so we'll see what I'm happens. I'm thinking, man, it's great Gatsby era here. Let's, I, let's go. I, I could agree with that. I think it's going to be, speaking of menswear, I mean, hopefully there's a lot of tuxedos sold or something Dude, like I'm that. Here because for, I'm here for going back to the opera. I want to dress up. Let's go. <laughs> Dude, I, I can see that. I'm going to wear a tuxedo everywhere. Yeah, Drinks, cocktails, heck yeah, tuxedo. Any excuse, I'm, I'm dressing. I'm getting dressed. <laughs> I get dressed to go to bodega now because I'm like, I'm going to the grocery store? Oh, I got to put on a fit. Like, when else do I get to wear it? <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes me think, actually, what have the street style photographers been doing this year? Oh, nothing. They're posting, like, archive photos, probably. Well, well, honestly, they have they have been doing things. They've been doing, like, FaceTime shoots and things like that. What's and a FaceTime shoot? That's not a street style. All right, so, so you know, uh, one of one of our, one of my good friends, um, Jared, he's, you, you know him yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he's been doing these FaceTime shoots that, that are almost like, they're very interesting because it's like, you know, you, you, you basically have this interaction from the, another camera taking a photo hmm. of a camera. Like, a, it, it's, it's very strange, but it's been working. It's been working. So, so there's a lot of people that have been getting pretty, like, interesting, you know, ideas through it. So I, I think I think you'll see a lot more of that. But streetwear hopefully comes back because... I feel like it's some of the best fits. I I usually take some inspiration from it. Oh, so. for sure, hundred yeah. percent. Little pity peacock. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, little Paris I don't fashion know about week. That. <laughs> you you want to go back to posting up on the pity wall? No. 
It's, ha it's happening. I just got an email. I just, I just done, got an email. I've done double monks. I just got an email from Pitti. That's happening. They, they sent me an email like this week saying that's going to happen apparently this really? summer. So. Really? Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, I they, so. they said all the shows. I mean, they had all the dates and although they also did that like every single season. They did it like last August. They were saying it's happening True. until like and just kidding. two okay. weeks before. Just kidding. You're pulling that one back. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, guys. This was awesome. Let's uh let's wrap up. We're gonna do a rapid fire round. Boom, all right. This is let's this is it. the retail happy hour edition of the podcast. So I, I don't have a name for it yet. Maybe I'll call it like I don't know, what's quick? Retail shots. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. All right. Shot. I'm gonna I'm gonna hand the mic. I'm gonna do two questions and then one question because I gotta hand the mic off. Okay. So first question, post COVID, what is the store you're most excited to go to the minute things are like back open and like people are out and about? There, you gotta pick one. The second thing is right now, this moment or post pandemic, like what's the brand that's got you the most excited? It's a dicey question here, Mr. McHenry. <laughs> well, honestly, outside of the brands you work for, you're okay. Fine. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, <laughs> I think, uh, I'm gonna go. It's not really fashion though. It's Doesn't more okay. I'm, I'm really excited to go back to REI. <laughs> I, I went That's there. Fashion. What are you talking I, about? I, I Solomon's are super cool now, man. I went there for uh, you know for, for for a skiing, I guess, get up, and I, I spent way too much money there. But I got to tell you, REI has everything, <laughs> everything that I'm currently looking for. So REI is the place I'm going to be. I might buy a bike. I don't have storage <laughs> for it. My girlfriend's going to go crazy, but that's where I'm going. What about you? I'm trying to check out some new stores that I've been kind of like reading about, but I haven't had the time to go to. COVID is not really the same experience. Like I really want to go to the Amelandor Cafe, check out the store. Like, you know, they've been doing some beautiful lookbooks. Like I don't own a lot of stuff from them, but like the way that they pair things together, I'm like, this just gives me like passion for stuff that usually looks basic. And I'm like, the way you put this together and the models you chose, I'm like, that's really freaking cool. And I really want to check that, out the That's store. a good point. Yeah. I haven't I, been there before. I want to check it out. I want to check out 18 East. Like that store is brand new right next to 316. Those two stores, I kind of want to check those guys out and then uh, my go-to always if I'm just trying to kill time is to go to Dover Street Market because it almost feels like you're walking through a fashion museum like the way they set it up I yeah. always have a good time there uh, it'd be sure. pretty cool to go back there for sure that's it, definitely, do, definitely do, very high on my list do you have a second question <laughs> yeah the second question was what's what's the brand you're most excited about not not affiliated with work but like what's the brand out there that's doing cool stuff that you're excited about Probably uh, at, at the moment anyway, like what I'm caring about is, is a mix of 18 East stuff. Like I'm wearing the pants now. Shit's awesome. Like Antonio is I mean, great. Like I followed him since he was an Eidos. Like I've been following like what he's doing, like drops. I finally got my hands on some pants. Like it's been a pain in the ass, um, which is, you know, good for him. That's, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> what brands am I really excited about? I'm trying to, I'm trying to really think of this one because honestly, it's like, it's cookie cutter brands, but if I want to be really cookie cutter, I'd love to go to the Bodhi store. Like everyone likes to talk about it. I heard it smells nice. I'd like to go check it out. <laughs> Can't really smell it in my N95 mask. So, you know, yeah, I, I've been trying to get a, I've been trying to get like a, like a camper shirt from Bodhi for, for a little bit, but, uh, you know, I just haven't had the opportunity to it's envision, envision the myself to wear it somewhere. So even though I could probably wear it in my own house and just have a party. So you can't just probably dress the whole time. Come probably Bodhi. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Final question. This is a fashion retail business question. Right. What's something that the fashion industry or retail industry as a whole 
it's like a trend or something that's, you know, talking about for the future that you think everyone sort of like believes in and is talking about what's going to happen or someday it's going to, you know, hit that you just like don't agree with. You have the complete counter argument. You think it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Interesting. I'll tell you mine. Yeah. I don't think there's ever going to be a time in the mass market where anybody's wearing a DB jacket or DB suit. <laughs> doesn't matter how many times you put it on a runway. doesn't matter how many times you try to do it. It's never going to be more than like one unit a season or whatever. One style a season, personally. That's fair. That's probably, that, that's fair. I think it takes a lot of um, enthusiasm and a love of like what it is or like caring about tailoring. You need a lot of self-confidence to walk around in a double-breasted jacket. Oh, it looks, just, it looks so good though when, when you get it right. You need, you need the confidence you though. Get it right, yeah. But your average human is not going to go out and just like cop yeah. a DB to rock. So, that's a good point. So I, I don't know if this is something that's been on on forecasters, you know, like minds, but I feel like people are bringing like a flary type of fit. And I, and I agree. I agree with, you know, some of it. But if they try to bring back a bell bottom, I'm going to lose my shit. Mike Amiri had bell bottoms in Bergdorf last season. Mike, come on the podcast to explain yourself. Yo, I've been I've been told that boot cuts are going to come back, and I really hope that's not a thing. I think we've kind of moved away from that. I'm really hoping that the other thing that I'm seeing a ton of that I really hope does not really catch back on. I mean, obviously we went too far one way with um, you know you had guys like Tom Brown getting us with the shorter hemlines. That's great, like it looks great. But then you have the the too far extreme where people are wearing untapered trousers that are also cut way too high, so just kind of like flapping in the wind. And now the, the the trend is like you just don't hem your pants and you just let them like b- balloon over your over your trousers. I, I just see it everywhere. It's like there's the, the cuff the cuff is dead apparently. I mean I don't think the cuff's dead. I don't think the cuff's dead. I don't think you need to drown your, your shoes so we can't see what's going on. And you just kind of look like uh, you know it's all bunched at the bottom. I'm good on that. I think you can keep that one. You can keep you can keep that trend. No, that's terrible. If you're if you're a 29. Inch inseam, and you're wearing a 36. You need a you need to go to the tailor ASAP. You're not bringing back the the stacks the stacks on the boots. Yeah, I I completely agree. (laughs) I completely agree. I didn't even think of that one. (laughs) All right, cool guys. Well, this was awesome, super fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. It's all over the place, but we liked it. Uh, That's how it should be. It's a Friday night. It's retail happy hour, guys. Like this, this should be all over the place. So thanks for coming. Really appreciate it, sir. Thank you, thank, thank you for having us. Thank thank you for having us. Thank you for having us at Cliff's house. We, we Casa we Casa de Cliff. We need a sign on the wall. Thanks for listening to another episode of Retail Coffee Break. I hope that you enjoyed it. I personally took so much away from this. We will be releasing episodes every single week on iTunes, Stitcher, any single place you can get your podcast. So please leave us a review, tell us what you think, and we will love you forever. Until next time, I'll catch you later.